You're listening to Climate Update, a podcast brought to you by the Climate Change Institute of the Australian National University. Hello and welcome back to Climate Update. This week we're doing an explainer episode where we look into an important but not widely understood topic within the climate change field and discuss what it is and why it's important. In this explainer, we're looking into negative emissions technologies, and I'm joined by Dr. Rebecca Colvin from the ANU Crawford School of Public Policy to discuss them further. So, Beck, thank you very much for joining me today. Oh, thanks for the invitation, Lamise. So, we'll start pretty broadly. Um, so, what are negative emission technologies and why are they important? So, effectively, negative emissions technologies that Anything, and we can think of technology as in a technological innovation or widget that we create or how we enhance the earth systems that might already be operating for us and make them so that they give us negative emissions. And I mean that in the kind of emissions accounting sense, which is that they remove greenhouse gases from the atmosphere that are already there. So if we think about emissions reductions as being turning off the tap (laughs) to stop more water going into the bathtub, Negative emissions is about removing the water that's been building up in that bathtub. So the term negative emissions technologies, um, they can also be referred to as uh, CCS or carbon capture and storage or CCU, which is carbon capture and utilisation. What's the difference between uh, these terms? Are they referring to more or less the same thing or are there differences? There is a pretty important difference there. So It's probably useful for me to take a slightly circuitous (laughs) route to answer that question and give a little bit more background on the negative emissions text, just to kind of position what we're talking about. But so we can talk about negative emissions technologies in terms of planting more trees and trying to get more carbon out of the atmosphere and stored in biomass. Or we can think about negative emissions technology as being the application of certain Um, minerals to agricultural lands that fix carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and store it in the soil. We've also got more technological approaches. And so one of the things that we see are big devices, they're called direct air capture devices that can, they do things that I don't quite understand, but they scrub the air and they can extract using physical and chemical processes, the carbon dioxide that's in the air. So the more concentrated the carbon dioxide is, the more effective or efficient these devices are. The consequence of this is that if we put them right at the source of carbon dioxide, for example, at a power facility, they're much better at getting carbon dioxide out of the air than they are if we just have them sitting in a field where the air is fairly clean. And so direct air capture tends to be the CC part of CCS and CCU. So that's the carbon capture. It's where we take the carbon out of the air, whether that's at the source of pollution or it's just kind of in someone's backyard or whatever. But then the C, sorry, the S and the U are really quite different. So the S is storage. And this is where we say we've got this thing and it sucks and we've got to put it somewhere because we don't want it to be in the atmosphere. So we need to find ways to store the carbon that's being captured from the carbon dioxide that's gone through these devices. So this is often injecting it into 
geological formations. Or there's other approaches that might be able to look at locking it up um, in various substrates or whatever. But the utilisation is a different way of thinking about what we do with that carbon. So utilisation is saying, if we've now got all this carbon dioxide, can we use it for something, put it toward a new purpose? The use is complicated too, though, because the use might be something that takes the carbon out of the carbon cycle and out of the atmosphere only temporarily. So one quite legitimate use of carbon dioxide is putting it into soft drink to carbonate it or pumping it into greenhouses to help with how fast the plants grow. But of course, that's just a really short-term extraction out of the atmosphere and it's going to grow straight back into it. And so other types of carbon capture and utilisation, CCU, that tend to be a little bit more promising are those with much longer lifespans. So putting the carbon into some sort of product that's going to persist for hundreds or more years at a time. Examples could be finding, and some people are working on this, ways to put carbon that's been extracted out of the atmosphere into the constituent parts of cement. So as we're building new buildings or whatever it is that we do when we're producing cement, which is quite a high emissions process anyway, if we can do that in a way that's utilising the carbon that's been captured, then that's locking it away for a much longer time frame. So some have expressed concern that carbon capture technologies can be used as an excuse to sort of keep using fossil fuels because we'll just, you know, absorb the emissions from the atmosphere and it gives us, you know, less motivation to reduce our fossil fuel use and um, emissions production to begin with. Um, What are your thoughts on this? It is such an important question. (laughs) And so people will have different takes on this question depending on how they view the interaction between technology and policy and politics. So the reason that there's this type of concern is that CCS has been used for that way in the past. It's ended up being, and so I say this as if it's kind of an incontrovertible fact, but there would be people who would disagree with me on this point. But I think it's something that I'm at ease saying is that CCS in the past has been used as a political tool to delay emissions reductions. So all of this stuff about negative emissions, we don't want to have to do it. We have to do it because emissions reductions haven't been made at the rate and the scale that is necessary to try to put off the worst or put off sounds like just pushing it to later generations, but to mitigate the worst impacts of climate change because that's failed to happen. Now we have to look at negative emissions techs. If we look within Australia in particular, one of the things that ended up being an important part of these debates that led to the stagnation of efforts to deal with climate change and the continued reinforcement of the power of the fossil fuels industry in Australia, CCS has been one of these technologies that has played into that discourse. Now, this isn't to say that the technology in itself is necessarily bad. The technology in itself is good if we have to do negative emissions. CCS is something that we've really got to look into. But it has this complicated legacy of how it's been used in Australian climate politics and climate policy. That means that there's a lot of folks that feel a bit of trepidation about CCS re-emerging in the discourse there. So this is where we've got to recognise, if we talk about concepts like being 
technologically neutral, that's fine if you think that there's no politics that affects the way that technology gets deployed. But to say that we're going to be technologically neutral and approach CCS on its merits is turning a blind eye to the legacy of the history of how this technology has played into debates. So it's one of these things where it's really challenging because it's become such a fraught debate. It's a discourse where there's so many missteps that you can make. But we do need to look at the technology on its merits, but we've also got to understand how that could play in to agendas like genuine decarbonisation, genuine emissions reductions, and whether CCS will enable or limit that, or if maybe it will do nothing. It's just a thing that happens there. So that's all kind of a complicated answer of a bit about how politics and technology are interwoven and that it does kind of matter about how the legacy of past issues affects what we're talking about in the present. So moving forward into the future of emissions reduction, what do you think uh, the future for negative emissions technologies will look like? As to the biggest barrier to their use, do you think the, the legacy that you say they carry with them? Potentially, yeah. So one of the things that concerns me with negative emissions is that we focus so much on all of the problems with achieving emissions reduction, genuine emissions reduction and genuine decarbonisation of our social and economic systems, and that we just see negative emissions as a threat to those agendas. One of our colleagues, so Professor Justin Borvitz, talks about these issues as being they're not yes, but, or either, or, they're yes, and conversations. And we've gotten into this state where we need to have these yes, and conversations because the folks that were in charge of policy in the 90s and in the 2000s, they didn't do what they should have done to reduce emissions. So now we, in the 2020s or whatever you call this era, have to think about how we can do emissions reduction and how we can do negative emissions because all of the projections for the future suggest that we're very unlikely to keep future temperature rises to a safe level without some degree of negative emissions. And so it's so complicated because we've got to explore these technologies, but we've got to do that at the same time as keeping our foot on the accelerator with emissions reduction. The risk is that as imperfect human beings, we don't do so well at holding multiple concepts in our mind at the same time. So there can be this idea of there's a trade-off between emissions reduction and negative emissions. And there is a material trade-off if we're looking at allocation of resources in a system with fixed resources. But we've got to do it because it has to happen. <laughs> we're not going to have a safe climate if we don't do hardcore decarbonisation and find out how to make the most of negative emissions techs. So there's loads and loads of questions to be answered in terms of how these approaches can be optimised, if they're feasible, what sort of combination of them work at different scales. But one of the things that's um, perhaps an opportunity as opposed to a barrier is that they don't have the same... So I talked about the legacy of CCS, but the rest of the techs for negative emissions don't necessarily have the same degree of complicated um, partisan debates around them. So if we think about something like adding a new substance to agricultural fields, if we can find approaches like this that have lots of co-benefits, then we might 
find that unlike emissions reduction, where we have a very strong incumbent lobby, the fossil fuel lobby, who have actively campaigned against emissions reductions policies, we won't necessarily have that same opposition in the negative emissions space. So we might have less of um, less resistance as we push forward to implement negative emissions. And then the very optimistic and probably overly naive perspective of me thinks that that has a potential to maybe contribute to resetting some of the overly complicated, unconstructive quagmires of debate that we've ended up in in climate policy more generally, energy policy too. That's great. Beck. thank you very much for joining me today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks, Lamise. And thank you for listening to the Climate Update podcast. To stay tuned for our next episode, you can subscribe on your favourite podcast streaming platform, like and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at ANU Climate, or you can check out our website and subscribe to our newsletter at www.climate.anu.edu.au.